Church, I'm so glad that you're here today. How many of you, let me see your hands, how many of you, when I say Dante's Inferno, you know what I'm talking about? Maybe you studied that piece of literature sometime in some class. I'm not asking you to give a book report, but I see several of your hands went up. You're familiar with it. Yesterday, I think I saw like the fourth circle of Dante's Inferno. I went, on a Saturday, I went to Costco. I don't think I'd ever been to Costco on a Saturday before. Turns out that was not a wise decision. By the way, that Dante's Inferno reference, probably more is misunderstood about the doctrine of hell coming out of that book than any other piece of literature. I don't mean to be glib and silly about hell, but actually his fourth circle that he describes in that book is actually about greed. So it actually fits a little bit with some of what I saw. I don't typically go to Costco uh, just to hang out, but uh, yesterday I made an appointment. That's right, I had an appointment to go to Costco. About, oh, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, I happened to drive the family minivan. Dawn typically owns, you know, kind of the keys to the minivan, but I drove it. And I, every time I drive the van, I discover there's something that needs done to the van. Like, I'm not always driving it, but when I do, it's like, oh, that's an issue. I got to looking at the tires and I realized, you know what, I don't know how long it's been since these tires have been rotated. So I called Costco and said, hey, can I swing by? They said, oh, you got to make an appointment. So I made an appointment. That's why I was there yesterday. I was here at the church uh, building and we had the IF conference. How many of you ladies had some involvement with the IF conference this past weekend? It was awesome. Uh, so I heard. Uh, I really wasn't invited, but I kind of <laughs> stuck around in the back a couple of times and uh, heard some cool things that were happening there. I know that was a cool thing. So a group of us were here after the IF conference to kind of tear down and set up the room for today. We did that, and then I went to Costco, checked the van in, and I'm just kind of sitting there uh, in the food area of Costco, and I'm listening. I had my uh, iPad with me, and I kind of had it open, and I'm looking through my notes for this sermon. I'm literally looking at this phrase. I had written it down. That person needs Jesus. It's on my mind. And then I heard it. Not inside my mind, I heard it like in stereo, somebody talking like this. Actually, I looked up, and there was a gal, uh, she had some kids, and there was another gal, and she had some kids. I don't know if the kids had gotten into it, I'm not sure what it was, but one of the gals looked at the other and kind of muttered and said with an angry look on her face, you need Jesus, and then walked away. And I thought, oh my goodness, I was just reading this, and here it is, real live in person. Oh my goodness, this is almost too good, and it's awful at the same time. I don't think by that she meant, hey, can I tell you about the Jesus who loves me and has redeemed me, and I've got all kinds of good things to say about him, and can I share my life with you, hashtag Hoosier One. I don't think that's what was happening in that moment. Rather, I, it almost felt a little bit like a Christian cuss, a little Christian curse word, like a little bit of anger behind that. That person needs Jesus. I love the phrase. I love the sentiment behind it. Usually, though, when we use a phrase like that, well, we're thinking about somebody that's kind of dramatic. Vladimir Putin. He needs Jesus right now, right? Actually, I read an article the other day. Apparently, he had a fair amount of indoctrination from the Orthodox Christian Church as a child. Maybe he's got a bit of Jesus. He probably needs a little bit more. Maybe when you think of that phrase, you think of somebody like I read this past week. His name is Christian, ironically, first name Christian, who's 26 years old, 
In Cleveland, Ohio, this past week, he was sentenced to 41 to 44 years in prison for multiple charges. He's a serial rapist. He pled guilty to five counts of rape, four counts of kidnapping, two counts of abduction, one count of domestic violence, and one count of theft. He needs Jesus, right? Yes, yes he does. But what about your neighbor? What about that person that you wouldn't put in the Vladimir Putin category, you wouldn't put in the, oh, I'm angry with you at the store category, but, well, they're the obvious one. They need Jesus. You see it. You know it. Welcome to week three of this hashtag Hoosier One series. The first week we talked about the right one. Last week we looked at the wrong one. Today, well, we're looking at the obvious one. Obvious to Jesus. The question mark that we're asking is, are they obvious to us? And I hope as we're talking today, there's somebody that kind of invades the space of your brain. Yeah, that person does need Jesus. Not in a Christian cuss word kind of a way, but they need Jesus. And what if, what if God is calling you? What if God is calling you? What if God is calling me to reach that person? Hashtag, who's your one? The obvious one. Next week, don't miss next week, we're going to be talking about the invisible one. We're going to be doing one of those pop-up sermon series that we do all year long. It's called Where in the World. We're going on location to see how Jesus reaches the invisible one. Don't miss next week. And then the week before Easter, Palm Sunday weekend, we're going to be looking at the hurting one. Why? Because Jesus sees the one over and over and over again in the New Testament. As we're discovering, he looks through the crowd and he locks eyes with the one. We seek Jesus. We see you. We seek to be just like him in that. He sees through barriers like gender and race and money and cultural norms to truly see the heart of the individual, the one. Do we? Do we really see people the way Jesus sees them? Do we even see them the way he sees us? We're seeking to lock eyes with our vision statement. We seek Jesus and we see you. If you want to open up your Bibles right now, I'm on page 1067 of the Bibles that are underneath the seat in front of you. If you want to pull that out, we're going to camp in that particular passage for most of our time together today. If you want to go there in your own Bible or maybe you're following along on an app on your smartphone, I'm in John chapter 5, verse 1. John 5, verse 1, again, it's page 1067. Let's read this together. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He's actually going up from the coastal plains, and he's going up in elevation to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. It doesn't name it here, but this is the Passover feast. We're going to look at that. That shows up here in just a bit. Now, there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, if you were here for our Nehemiah series, we talked about the Sheep Gate a little bit in that series. Near the Sheep Gate, there's a pool, which in Aramaic, this is like the common language of the day in Jesus' day. I mean, they would write Greek, but most of the Jews in that area would speak Aramaic, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Bethesda, a pool. It's literally just outside of the old city walls of Jerusalem. First century, there's these, it's a walled city just outside the city. It's a pool of Bethesda. I actually want to show you some pictures of it. Let me show you what you're looking at here. This is actually a first century model in the uh, Israel Museum. If you've heard of the uh, 
Qumran, the Dead Sea Scrolls, they're on display actually just uh, oh, about uh, 500 yards from this location. Uh, they're on display and you can see them there. But this is like a first century representation of uh, the city of Jerusalem. I took that photo several years ago. This is kind of an up-close picture. This is where the Pool of Bethesda is located. This would be an up-close picture. You see the colonnades there. This is what the Pool of Bethesda looks like today. Archaeologists uncovered it about 100 years ago. And there's some other things that have been built up around it and over it through the centuries, including a Crusader-era church was built right there on that location. But they've done some archaeology. They've dug down and discovered it was a real place, corroborates the story that we're reading here today in your Bible. Now, the Pool of Bethesda. If you're reading along in a different translation, like specifically the Revised Standard Version, you might see that there's a different word that they use there. That translation and some others call it, um, uh, let's see, I've got it written down here, Bethsatha, Bethsatha. Some others actually refer to it as Bethsaida. There's some confusion, I think, early on in the translations. Exactly what are we talking about here? Uh, Bethsaida is a city on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. It's a part of what's known as the Evangelical Triangle. Jesus did like 80% of his ministry here on earth inside of that small geographic location. There's a lot of words in the Palestine region in the first century that start with those letters Bet or Beth. Bethlehem, Bethsaida. Bethesda. You can see some of the confusion. Now, it means house of. Bet in Hebrew means house of. So, for example, Bethlehem means house of bread. Bethsaida means house of fishing, house of hunting. It's like the original Cabela's of the New Testament. Bethsaida, Bethsaida literally means house of mercy. Or it means house of grace. And we're getting ready to see here where Jesus, oh, he enters into somebody's world as if he's in their home. And he brings mercy. He brings grace to them. What if, can I cast this vision? What if, as we read the text today and we seek to apply it to our lives today, what if venture Christian church? We talk about how we're calling you to venture home where we seek Jesus and we see you. What if venture became home? What if it became a place where somebody, hashtag Hoosier One, somebody who's far from God through your influence falls in love with Jesus and sees his mercy for what it really is, sees his grace for what it really is? What if venture became home? What if it became known as inside the community, outside the walls of this building? What if we became known as a house of mercy or a house of grace? How does that happen? Well, hashtag Hoosier one, we act like Jesus does in this story. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years this is a long time to be laying, just waiting for grace, just waiting for mercy. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked, 
Do you want to get well? Jesus shows some wisdom here. Not everybody does want to get well, right? So he's asking, first things first, do you want to continue in this life that you're living right now, or can I help? Do you want this? Do you want what I have to offer? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. There was this kind of, um, oh, belief that if the water stirred and you got in there before the water stopped stirring, that you could be healed from what ailed you. And so these people are just kind of laying there, believing this superstition, hoping to get into the water and be miraculously healed. While I'm trying to get in, somebody else goes down ahead of me. They keep cutting in line, and I, I can't work my legs well enough to get down there by myself. He's asking, will you help me? Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured, it shows the just power that Jesus has. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, Saturday, the holy day for the Jewish people. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath, duh. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Sometimes religious people, oh, just bug me. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they said to him, well, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Now let's talk about spiritual things. Stop sinning. Or something worse may happen to you. The man went away. Of course, we know through a gospel lens, we know that sin has the power to separate somebody for eternity from God. Sin, unforgiven sin, well, Dante's Inferno, listen, hell is a real place. And Jesus is saying, I'm going past the physical part of what ails you. Let's talk about what really ails you. I want to talk about your sin. I want to talk about eternity. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. I want to apply this text to our life today through the lens of hashtag who's your one. But before we do that, could we just pray? Could we just ask God to inform the next 20 minutes of time we have together? Would you bow your heads with, you, with me and let's, let's go to God in prayer. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the scriptures that uh, speak to us today. Just like you spoke through them, you spoke the words to this man next to the pool of Bethesda almost 2,000 years ago. God, speak through that text today as we study it and we seek to apply it to our lives today. And it's your name and Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can I make a comment coming out of that story? Sometimes religious people are annoying. Did you catch it in there? The religious people in the story, oh, you can't do this on a Saturday. They completely miss. This dude has been laying there for 38 years, and he's not lying there anymore. Now he's up walking around, but, oh, you did this on a Saturday. Surely you broke some rule that we need you to be aware of. Jesus said, it's the Sabbath, right? But here, I'm going to heal you anyway. I was reading this past week about there, there are some spaces in New York City, even to this day, uh, where there's a strong Jewish community there, that on Saturday, you, uh, the elevators just, they don't work anymore the way you press a button and it goes up. 
Rather, you climb in and the door opens at every door all the way up. So like if you live on the 30-something floor, it's going to stop and open. Why? Why is that? Well, because as they read through the uh, Old Testament, the Torah, they see this idea of not working on the Sabbath. And there's something about pressing the button and it creates fire, a spark of electricity in there. Somehow that's defined as work. And you can't do that on the Sabbath. So this is how we're going to live. I don't know, but I look at that and I think, man, that just smacks of legalism to me. I've seen this in effect. I've been in Jerusalem on a Saturday, and I've seen that actually happening there. I know it's a thing. But before we get to look down our nosy at Jewish folks, we have religious people inside of our ranks as well, right, that are equally as annoying. Years ago, years ago I was working as a student ministry pastor in another church and uh, I'd been talking about this whole hashtag Hoosier One idea. Not We weren't calling it that. But I was working on this with, with students. And I was saying, hey, invite your friends to come and be a part of what God's doing here in our youth group. And, and my youth group at the time was made up of a whole bunch of kind of polished kids, kind of the, the you know, best and brightest and who's who and that, 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 that crew. And, and I had a kid that was coming to our youth group. His name was Frankie. His name is Frankie. And Frankie was a skater punk. And I loved Frankie. I love the freshness that he brought to our group, and he took this challenge seriously. Now, Frankie's friends were all skater punks as well. And I don't know if you know much about the socio-political house of cards that is high school. We were all in high school at some point. You, were, you can imagine this is kind of a thing for him to go out on a limb and invite his buddies to come and be a part of what we're doing. They didn't necessarily feel welcome there, but Frankie made them feel welcome. We were trying to roll out the red carpet the night that everybody was showing up, literally a pack of teens riding uh, skateboards. And man, I respect the athletics that are involved with riding skateboards. It's pretty impressive. These kids all showed up and they rode their boards and so they're all out in front of the church in the parking lot skating. They're doing like a rail grind against the uh, curb of the parking lot. It was really impressive. I'm standing across the parking lot. We were doing like an outdoor event, and I'm talking with a group of students, and I look over, and I see Skatey, he's, uh, Frankie, he's hosting his buddies well. And like in slow motion, I see a, a man who worked at our church. He was the maintenance man. I, uh, I don't like that title, maintaining. Maintaining maintenance, right? Like I, I, I respect what he does, but... Man, there's something about like preserving what we have and being careful with what we have and not recognizing that this is a tool to be used, even used up for God's glory. He had missed that piece. And like in slow motion, I see him walking across the parking lot, and I feel like I'm in slow motion myself. I'm trying to run to get to, there, to that group before he does, and I couldn't. And I don't know what he said, but I watched his face. He's kind of yelling at the kids for being on church property and destroying God's house of worship. And I watched Frankie's face fall. And in that moment, it just destroyed what God was doing right there in that life. Sometimes I don't like religious people. Sometimes religious people are annoying. If you're a religious person, stop being annoying. Stop being religious. Can I say it that way? Stop being religious. Focus more on being close than on being right. Focus more on being close 
than being right. The goal is to be nearer to Jesus. So maybe focus on being closer to Christ more than knowing more than Jesus. That's what the religious people in this story were guilty of, right? Knowing more than Jesus, God incarnate himself. Listen, hashtag Hoosier One might be difficult for religious peoples, right? Pharisees likely would have struggled with this idea of we're called to reach people who are far from God. I want to talk today about one awareness, and it's related to the obvious one. And the, and the, the deal is he was obvious to Jesus is he obvious to us? Jesus in this story, he modeled one awareness. Here's, first of all, here's what he did. He looked for one in need. He looked through the crowd, and he locked eyes with the one. What else did he do? He listened to one without criticism. We're going to talk about that. He gave to one anonymously. Well, what else did he do? He understood and he acknowledged the one's pain. He met him where he was at. Hashtag Hoosier One, he also followed up with the one. And I kind of want to walk through these and give you some encouragement, some challenge on each one of these. As we think about this idea of the obvious one. Well, there's some obvious one awareness. Jesus was aware of the one. Are we aware of the one in our life? Do we look through the crowd and lock eyes with the one and it's obvious to us? He or she is far from God and we could be a part of the story to redeem that. So number one, look for a need. There's this reemergence of a meme that's been floating around social media. I love this. Perhaps you recognize this guy right here. I love this quote from Mr. Rogers. When I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You'll always find people who are helping. That's kind of been floating around a little bit more the last couple of weeks because of what's been going on over in Ukraine. By the way, do any of the rest of you guys, are you just a little bit worried about your wife having a crush on Vladimir Zelensky? Anybody else worried about this? Dawn said something to me about a week, week and a half ago. She said, you know what? Every morning, first thing, I check the news to make sure that he made it through the night. Well, you know, there have been a couple of those nights. I've been kind of up and about early, and I'm not even sure she knew that I had left the house. But she's checking on his welfare to make sure that he's okay. Can I be honest? I might have a little man crush myself on that dude. What's his line that he said? I don't need a ride. I need more ammunition. I mean, isn't that just a beautiful uh, kind of a movie line? I mean, he's an actor become president. But here's a man who has looked for a need and used his courage and used his skills to fill it. We respect that. Not all needs are quite so obvious. What need can you fill? Years ago, one of my boys, um, he had been removed uh, from his birth home, foster care, into foster care. This was before he came to live with us. and It was kind of a tragic thing. He, he had to leave behind one of his stuffed animals. And... Uh, Years, a couple years later, Dawn started working with him, and they created this, this uh, uh, moral ministry called Comforting Critters, where they were collecting stuffed animals and buying stuffed animals and taking them to the foster care office in our town so that those stuffed animals could be given to kids when they were removed from their home. It was something that fit his heart and his, uh, uh, you know, something he wanted to fill a need and step in and to help. We can all use our specific talents and our experiences to fill a need. 
Isn't it interesting that Jesus made it a point to visit the pool of Bethesda during Passover? This is at a time when he could have focused solely on the rituals and the activities of the Jewish holy days. He could have been a religious person in that moment, but instead he looked to help those who were in need. Let me challenge you with this. Don't let worshiping Jesus. We sang that song today, I give you all of my worship. It's so much more than just the words. It's so much more than just going through the motion. Don't let worshiping Jesus get in the way of modeling Jesus. We're called to be his hands, called to be his feet. You could say it this way. Don't let doing the right thing get in the way of being Jesus. One awareness. Look for a need. Where can you roll up your sleeves and engage with the world around you? Here's second one awareness that's obvious to us. Listen without criticism. At least this was obvious to Jesus. I wonder if it's obvious for us. In John chapter 5, verse 6, we learn that Jesus saw this man who was paralyzed and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. Jesus allowed the man to explain his situation and his need. Now, because we're not omniscient, we need to listen first and to do so without being critical. We get this wrong so often. You know, over the years, I've had pastoral moments where I have conversations with people who are hurting, people who have been through some severe pain, tragedy in their life. And I've heard some pretty silly things, ignorant things, maybe wrong things said to people who are hurting and grieving. And people tell me these stories later, like to a mom who had just lost a child told me she had heard the phrase, don't worry, you'll still have your other children. Man, that's the wrong thing to say to a gentleman recently diagnosed with cancer. I know how you feel, and it's not that bad. Well, it is to him right now. That's, that's a dumb thing to say to a woman whose husband just passed. Well, you'll find another husband. Well, that's a dumb thing to say. We have to be so careful with the words that come out of our, lie, of our mouths. Like, now tell me again how your child died they don't want to tell you that story right now. These are insensitive comments, and they increase hurt, and they increase isolation. They increase suffering. Even if these comments are said, even with the best of intentions, they're still best left unsaid. And this hashtag Hoosier One, we're talking about identifying and investing in and inviting your one. And we get so overwhelmed thinking about evangelism, and we say, well, I have to know everything first. I have to know how to outline, like lay out how to have the, the, the plan of salvation and be able to talk like a preacher to my one. No, 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 no. We, uh, we simply have to care first. Start with human compassion. Meet people where they're at. Here's an idea. Spiritual EQ is usually more valuable than spiritual IQ. You know what IQ is, right? This is your intelligence quotient, how smart you are. We approach faith sometimes like this. If I just memorize more scripture, if I just go through the motions more, I learn more about who Jesus is, and all of those things are very important. But spiritual EQ is oftentimes more valuable. EQ is emotional intelligence. Maybe taking what you know and meeting people really where they're at because of who you know. 
Emotional intelligence is way more valuable sometimes than spiritual IQ. Let's keep talking about this obvious one awareness that Jesus models in these verses. He serves anonymously. And I think he calls us toward that as well. Let's look again at John chapter 5, verse 13. The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. He didn't beat him over the head. Here's the thing. I'm drawn to this. Every time I see somebody serving anonymously, I'm drawn to it. Yesterday, after the IF conference was done, a group of your leaders, the spiritual leaders in your church, showed up here to set up the tables and chairs, tear down tables and to set up chairs for you today, for the environment that we've created today. I am drawn to that every time I see somebody serving selflessly. I want more of that in my life. This whole idea of hashtag Hoosier One, can I just challenge you with this? Nobody wants to be a project. Evangelism isn't about winning souls. I don't like that phrase because it's kind of competitive. Evangelism is simply one beggar showing another beggar where to find food. And here's the deal. You earn the right to be heard. If you're the kind of person who serves anonymously without credit, These are the kind of people that the one in your life admires. Be that person. Jesus models obvious one awareness by leaning into pain. So it behooves us to learn about pain. By the way, Jesus knew a thing or two about pain. Three weeks from now, three weeks from now, we're celebrating Easter. We're about two and a half weeks away from Good Friday, where the verse that we see in the Old Testament comes to fruition Jesus on the cross, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, he knew about pain. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We're getting ready to celebrate that single greatest moment of human history and how it's changed our lives forever in three weeks. Pain, pain is pretty powerful. For our countdown to Easter right now, As you're thinking about your one awareness circle, hashtag who's your one, who needs to hear that message? Are you identifying them? Are you investing in them? Are you inviting them? Speaking of Easter, speaking of the one, can I just make this statement? Pain is pain. Pain is relative. I I like this phrase. The worst pain you've ever felt is the worst pain you've ever felt. If you know the pain of what it's like to bury a child, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. Maybe that's the worst pain you felt. Well, that's the worst pain you felt. But if the worst pain you've ever felt is stubbing your toe, that's still the worst pain you've ever felt. And here's the thing. Pain is common to all of humanity. So it would behoove us to know how we can meet people where they're at in their pain. Well, how can we do that? How can we help folks through their pain? Well, number one, here's one, ask people about their story and then really listen. Lean in and meet them where they're at in their pain. We all want to be heard. Somebody in your sphere of influence, hashtag Hoosier One, is going through pain. Lean in and meet them where they're at. Number two, validate and enter into their pain. Validate it. Don't ignore it. Acknowledge it. 
Number three, maybe read through the life of Jesus and observe. He does this over and over and over again. If you're looking for a devotional experience right now, I would encourage you to read simply through the book of John and see over and over again how Jesus interacted with people. Where was he? When did he do it? Who was there? What did he do? Why did he do it? How did he do it? And over and over again, he interacts with people through their pain. Number four, pray for wisdom and guidance of the Holy Spirit. We're called to do this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 says it this way, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just in fact you are doing. So ask God, how, how can I reach this person who's far from God? How can I enter into their pain with them? Hashtag Hoosier one. How can I get inside of their world just a little bit? Guide me. Direct me. Okay. Obvious one awareness that Jesus models. Here's the fifth thing we see in this passage. He follows up with his one. So it behooves us also to follow up with our one. Jesus forgave the man of his sins. He does this, though. Well, let's look at the text. John chapter 5, verse 14. Later, Jesus found him at the temple. He sought him out. He followed up with this one. This creates gospel opportunities, by the way. Jesus is the opportunity. Hashtag Hoosier one. 2,000 years ago. I mean, we scoff probably as we read that story. They believe that if the water stirred, they could go down this superstitious idea and be healed. We scoff at that. But we have coping mechanisms for pain today, don't we? Let me make this statement. Jesus is better. He's better than any coping mechanism. And if you've got somebody inside of your sphere of influence who maybe happens to be far from God today, there's probably something that they're doing to cope with their pain. Maybe it's drinking too much alcohol. Maybe it's indulging in too much food. I don't know. Maybe it's some kind of an avoidance issue. But if you can enter into their world enough to show them that, listen, Jesus is better than coping mechanisms, I think you've got an opportunity there. The obvious one. This person was obvious to Jesus. Is the obvious one, though, are they obvious to you? Are they obvious to me? Can I encourage you with this? And let me leave you with this idea. We're called, we've been talking about this all series long. There's a three-step process here as we think about hashtag Hoosier One. Number one is to identify. Identify your one life. You have one life to invest, so who's the one life that you're investing into? Well, who is obvious? Well, let me phrase it this way. Who, when you look around, you don't use it as some kind of a Christian cuss word, you need Jesus. But who, when you see them, you know they really do need Jesus in their life. And what if, what if he wants to use you toward that end? So identify them. And then invest in them. Invest. Meet them where they're at in their pain. Show them Jesus and invite them. Number three, invite your one life to do life alongside of you. Jesus loves you. But can I say this as well? He also loves the person that you struggle to love. As you think about who is obvious, who is the obvious one he's calling me to reach out to, well, maybe, maybe it's the person that you struggle to love most. 
There's this video, Teresa in our church sent this to me last week. I'd seen it on social media before. I love this. Maybe you can identify with this. Lord, if you get me out of this mess, I promise I'll never do it again. Also me. He's pulling something fuzzy, something furry out of a trench. Oh, I think it's a sheep. Oh, check it out. It's going to run away. Oh, no. It's, it's right back where it started. And we'll just kind of let that play again in case you missed what happened there so you can see that again. I look at that, and I don't know about you, but who is it in your life that you look at? Oh, my goodness, that's my child, right? We rescue them, and then they run right, they just saw it again, ran right back into the trench again. Maybe it's somebody that you know that doesn't exercise the gift of wisdom. You struggle. You struggle to love them through that. Is it possible that maybe they're the obvious one? When you came in today, there was some communion sitting on your seat. Would you grab that right now? Don't, don't take it yet. We're going to set up a thought. And then we're going to respond with some worship. And then there will be a time later in the service that we're going to actually take that communion. But between now and then, I would invite you just to think about what you're holding and what it represents. The body of the good shepherd, broken. The blood of the good shepherd, poured out for you and for me. Who is it? Who is it inside of your sphere of influence that Jesus loves so much that he was willing to die to chase that sheep down? This idea, hashtag, who's your one? We get this idea, we pull this straight out of the Bible in Luke chapter 15. There's three stories about the one that's far from God. There's a lost coin. There's a lost son. There's a lost sheep. There's somebody inside of your sphere of influence It is obvious to God that they're far from him. Is it obvious to you? And as you think about that, just chew on this thought. It was obvious at some point in your spiritual life that you were the one. And so Jesus chased you down and pursued you, even though you and me, just like that sheep, jumping back into the hole. Maybe there's something in that metaphor that you resonate with today and you recognize, I need to repent of that thing. Well, that's what this moment is about as well. Hashtag, who's your one? The obvious one.